Hey there. Uh, two quick things I forgot to mention in the episode that I want to lay off the top. First thing is, uh, while I try to provide as much context as I, I possibly can with some audio clips at wherever prudent, I would highly recommend checking out the album before actually listening to my review and, and break detailed breakdown of the songs. Maybe worth forming your own opinion, as you may disagree with my interpretation to a lot of the tracks. But also, it, that way, I'm not spoiling the album for you. So I would recommend either listening to either pressing pause here and listening to the album as a whole. Or one fun thing you could do is, uh, I before I jump into each track, just listen to that track before I, you hear my thoughts on it. So that's one. Uh, number two, I forgot to explain why this band is called the Postal Service. They're called the Postal Service because this album was made before we had widespread email <laughs> or the ability to really collaborate online. And so the two collaborators, uh, Jimmy Tamborello, who makes all the beats, and Ben Gibbard, who does all the singing, they would mail each other CDs in that Jimmy Tamborello would mail physically mail a, a CD with instrumentals and say, hey, Ben Gibbard, can you just record over this and send it back so I can mix master it? So neat little project. I understand that a lot of the music today can be made from varying parts of the country. You don't necessarily have to be in the same spot, but this was a novel concept at the time. Anyways, uh, this is one of my favorite albums of all time. I hope you check it out and I hope you check out this episode and let's go. Welcome to another fantastic, bombastic, fresh out the plastic, a bit niche, but getting buckets like Milan Momsilovich episode of the Reclassico podcast. I'm your host, Alex Young. And today, well, first today, I I have to explain that at reference I I just gave out. Um, So I was watching basketball this week. I was calling my dad and while watching basketball and Houston was being upset by Iowa State. Game is tied at like 65 apiece. And Iowa State has the ball trying to, to get the a last second shot to pull off a game winner. And it goes to this one man known as Milan Momsilovich. And uh, immediately he catches the ball. Two defenders collapse on him. And he does the most ridiculous turnaround fadeaway that I've ever seen. I believe he's below the basket, at, at least in terms of latitude. And it goes over the backboard and straight in buckets. And so you get a shout out, Milan. <laughs> like, I, I was wondering, like, do you practice that shot? And apparently he does. So a shout out to our new favorite player on the podcast, Milan Momsilovich of Iowa State future second round pick of the NBA draft. Um, we salute you. And I was watching this unfold with, with my dad. And one reason 
that this album, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute, is special to me is because it was something that I would listen to with my dad. And, and that album, of course, is the Postal Service uh, with the album Give Up. Postal Service, Jimmy Tamborello and Ben Gibbard's collaboration from 2003. The genre is indie pop, indie electronic, a little bit of indie rock. Released February 19th, 2003 on Sub Pop Records. You may have vaguely heard of this album, uh, or at least you may have vaguely heard of the main song, Such Great Heights. We'll play a quick clip. Some of you may have listened to that and been like, oh, that that song and some of you may have listened to it and, and have no clue. <laughs> That's totally fine. Uh, a big legacy of this album and, and specifically that song is that it featured in a number of UPS logistics commercials. So that's that's a real fun fact. That's maybe its cultural imprint on America. But really, it is a breakout of a very unlikely breakout of indie rock, indie pop, uh, indie electronica. It is one of two albums to go platinum off of Sub Pop Records. And it was a phenomenon right when the internet was entering its infancy, before we had our our SoundCloud rappers that went viral overnight. Music finding or, or music discovery was rather difficult, and this is one of the few albums to really break through on the internet on blogs such as pitchfork music and and at the time you really needed a label in order to be discovered to be played on the radio the radio was still the the king hit maker and you needed a major label deal and and so the fact that these sort of underground ish indie acts could join forces and, and break through and become a phenomenon was really something to behold in 2003 now when this album came out and was popular i was roughly 10 years old and i did not care about any of this stuff all i knew was that this was an album that my dad would play in the car and it was just pretty chill pretty agreeable and one of the main albums that he would play that i would like i said on the previous album tour which was about uh, coldplay that's that's a little lower in your feet if you scroll down through the Spotify podcast feed. A lot of our music discovery comes through our parents and a lot of mine actually came through what my parents or, or namely my mom and dad would play in the car as we were driving around on Texas road trips. 
So early on, I, I was really a big um, Coldplay fan. I was really a big U2 fan. And I was a big fan of this album because that's what my dad liked and that was transferred over to me. And so to, to give you a little structure and agenda for this podcast, first I'm going to talk about what this album means to me, uh, the, the context that it's had and evolved over the course of my life. Then what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to, this, as you can see from the title, this is an album tour. I'm going to go track by track and give a little bit of analysis and, and play some clips from each one so that you have an idea of what this album is like and a lot of the significance of some of the lyrics of, of the music itself. To cite some of my sources for that analysis, a lot of my analysis comes from A, uh, the Pitchfork review uh, of this album in, in 2003. Uh, B, there is a YouTube documentary that's about 14 minutes titled Some Idealistic Future, which which I'll be talking about as well. Uh, next, uh, a really significant source is going to be the Anthony Fantano of the Needle Drop Classic Review on YouTube. Just type in the Needle Drop Postal Service and, and you should find it. And lastly, I, I took some of the analysis from Genius, uh, from the, the website Genius, formerly Rap Genius, uh, to peer into some of the lyrics and, as well. But music is a very personal thing. So I I contend that there's the significance of an album to society. That's one. Uh, two, there's the significance of the album to the artist, which is probably most important. Uh, but three, there's the significance of the album to you, the listener. And as, as we can tell, when we separate art from artists, that can have a whole different meaning than what was intentionally intended by the artist so for me honestly the biggest legacy other than having nostalgia from my childhood um, the biggest legacy of, of this album is that it's a very agreeable album that I feel comfortable sharing and, and playing in front of others if I have a friend in the car or a stranger in the car and I want to play some music but I don't want to offend them I honestly just put on this album because it's very calm appeasing it's nice little background music if you want it to but as a classic hipster weirdo uh, it also appeals to me and, and so it's a nice little medium ground it's something that's relatively popular but somewhat niche at the same time and i don't really know anyone who's ever listened to this album and hated it another legacy for for me is that this album is very calming one reason I'm able to play it for everyone is that it's a lot of chill vibes, but it's also something that if I'm going on a, a very long run, something that's multiple miles, I can just turn on and play with no skips uh, the track list and it will keep me at a moderate chill pace so that I'm A, not overpacing myself, not getting too high, but B, I'm also calm and relaxed. I'm not feeling the... the I, it soothes me from the pain of the lactic acid going into my joints. And lastly, there are a lot of sad boy vibes that I like to relate to in this music whenever I'm in my feels. So whenever you're uh, tripping over some sort of crush or, or something like that, uh, this is a good album to put on. Most of the songs are about love. Most of the songs are about uh, relationship breakups, things like that. But... It really takes those and, and 
twists them in a very refreshing, interesting way. You see, I, I wouldn't call this album a full-blown concept album, but it is taking a conceptual vibe, if, if you get what I mean. And, and that conceptual vibe is that it's very dystopian. It's a very dystopian pop record. As Fantano mentions in his classic review, some of the tracks, some of the production of the tracks sound very utopian, very blissful, and some of them sound not quite edgy, but kind of dark and dystopian. Call it very 1984 George Orwell breakup vibes. And we'll experience some of that dystopia later in the album, specifically with the song We Will Become Silhouettes, which is a post-nuclear uh, war is, is the setting from there where the air is radioactive. We'll explain the concept of that one once we get to the track, but the latter half of the album really digs into this dystopian, uh, utopian foil, per se. And we're about to jump into the album in, in just a minute, but uh, one last thing I, I need to say is, is that I, I mentioned that the Anthony Fantano review is, is one of the sources and I actually believe that I played a part in making that review exist in the first place. You see, in I believe the year was 2017, I actually met Anthony Fantano. He was doing a, a little tour around the U.S. Uh, I got to actually meet him, shake his hand, take a picture, and ask him a couple questions. And one question that I asked him was, what do you think of this particular album? what do you think of the album Give Up by the Postal Service? And I had to ask because on his channel, he had really never talked about it. I said, oh, the Postal Service? Like, indie pop album? Yeah, 10 out of 10, absolutely. If you know anything about Fantano, he's very stingy about his 10 out of 10s. And look, I, I don't know if he was just saying that to make me happy in the moment, but in his review, which came out later that year, um, he he said it was one of the best albums of the 2000s, and I can't help but agree. So you're welcome. If, if you watch that video, you're welcome because I, I made it happen. I definitely inspired it. Uh, I will definitely take credit for that. So let's jump into the song, shall we? Let's start with track number one, The District Sleeps Tonight. This is a very nocturnal way to start the album. To provide a little bit of context about the song, Ben Gibbard, who is a singer on, on this track, uh, this is this particular track is about his breakup and in the final days of his his relationship with his ex girlfriend who lives in D.C. Ben Gibbard lives in Seattle, Washington at, at the time, and as you can tell. Seattle to DC is a bit long distance. According to genius.com, one of the main reasons they broke up was that Ben Gibbard was spending a little too much time with the band, which if you listen to him in, in a lot of interviews and talking about his work ethic, is not hard to believe those allegations. 
And so in the song, what he describes is him really visiting, knocking uh, on the door of his girlfriend. He's knocking on the door almost like he's a police officer. <laughs> he feels almost like a police officer, like he's not supposed to be there, that he's being intrusive, knocking on the door. Let's play a clip of, of this particular instance. So there isn't a lot of clarity on what the badge represents, whether it's a police officer knocking on the door, um, or it seems on this listen that it's a little bit more of a, a visitor's badge, like a hello, my name is Ben Gibbard kind of badge. But whatever you in- interpret it, he feels very out of place knocking on the door of his now ex-girlfriend and finding her new friend. And you get a sense of almost secondhand embarrassment as Ben is knocking on the door. He sees what's going on and and realizes that he's made a mistake, that he doesn't belong here anymore, that in this gaudy apartment complex, that it's it's over. It's Jover for for Ben. Even further, he admits and, and realizes that he's kind of the asshole. He's the reason that it is over and realizes what he's missing out on. And the district that perhaps he visited a lot that he once knew and loved sleeps alone tonight. And with that, track two, Such Great Heights. I already played that clip in the intro, but I, I thought it was worth playing again because I, I think the openings to each of these songs, most of them, not all of them, but the openings to each of these songs are really interesting and, and nice ear candy from Jimmy Tamborello, and so I think they're worth playing. I would also like to point out that the vibe on this song, uh, a song called Such Great Heights, is a lot different. It's... <laughs> a bit happier, especially in, in production wise. And it's a bit happier when we get to the lyrics. I am thinking it's a sign that the freckles in our eyes are mirror images and when we kiss they're perfectly aligned. And if last track was this very sobering reality that he was the one worth leaving, that uh, 
uh, his relationship was over. This is very like high in the clouds, very excited about love and a relationship again, to the point where, as Pitchfork put it, we're using NSYNC level cheesiness in, in our lyrics. And that's the dichotomy that we get on this record. It's, a lot of it is very pie in the sky lyrically, very uh, just in absolute love and almost denial of, of really the sobering reality which pokes its head through multiple times in the record. So that's, that's where this track is going lyrically. Um, the other thing I, I do want to point out in, in this track is it does appear to have the most simplistic guitar solo you've ever heard. Let's play it. If that doesn't get you hype, I don't know what will. Track three, Sleeping In. it's very happy-go-lucky utopian per se but lyrically it, it's somewhat dark talking about the the jfk assassination as well as topics like global warming For there was never any mystery of who shot john f kennedy it was just a man which we're implying that there's only one shooter of JFK, so that's a bold statement right there. But in all seriousness, it, they're saying like, hey, there was no mystery in, in who shot JFK, and then the world just kind of went on as it, as it was. And, and it goes to the chorus, which is like, don't wake me, I plan on sleeping. Don't wake me, I plan on sleeping in. And what it does is it really highlights uh, a lot of apathy towards a lot of world events. Uh, in fact, and perhaps some of that apathy that Ben Gibbard himself experienced. I think the thing I remember about what was going on in the world in 2002 is that obviously there were post 9-11, there was an Iraq war beginning and there were you know, things on a, on a global scale that were kind of terrifying. But it was a time in my life where there was nothing going on that wasn't happening in my neighborhood. Nothing happening in the world worth paying attention to other than indie rock and making records and going to shows and drinking beer and in the long run that's not necessarily a good thing but at the time you know you just I didn't care about anything other than making music. Track number four, Nothing Better.
I told you all that the dystopia was going to come back, and it definitely comes back on this track. This track is actually a, a duet between Ben Gibbard and Jenny Lewis. It is my favorite track on the album, and it details a breakup. It's a ballad of a breakup between the two. It starts with Ben Gibbard talking about his heartbreak and denial and doing everything in his power to stop the two from breaking up. Will someone please call the surgeon who can crack my ribs and repair this broken heart that sure deserted for better company? I can't accept that it's over, and I will block the door like a goalie tending the net in the third quarter of a tight game rivalry. So he needs heart surgery because his heart is immediately broken he's standing in front of the door trying to uh, prevent his now ex from from leaving so that they can work it out and, and live together but excuse me we have to pause for a second for one of these lyrics where he describes protecting the net like it's the third quarter like he's a goalie protecting the net like it's a third quarter of a tie game rivalry and that's chill, except when you think about it, third quarter, what goalie sport has a third quarter? Soccer has two halves. Hockey, which I assume this is what this is about, has three periods. And, and the third period is known as crunch time, where uh, the goalie would be at heightened senses trying to protect the net. And so Genius thinks that he's playing lacrosse for whatever reason, because lacrosse is the only goal sport we can think of that has three quarters. But even if he's playing lacrosse, even if he's playing lacrosse, even if he is a lax bro, why why are we saying the third quarter? The third quarter is not crunch time. People put fours in the air because fourth quarter is the most meaningful quarter. It's clutch time in the NBA. So while I, I do love the song, it's my favorite on the album, I think the beat is incredible. Um, while I do enjoy the lyrics, this is a low point for, for the album. Come on, Ben, get your sports analogies right. And if you thought that was bad for Ben, and if you thought he was down bad, things get worse when Jenny Lewis's part comes in. I feel I must interject here. So a couple things here. First thing that you may have noticed is that the instrumental in the background just absolutely explodes when she comes in. We have these soaring strings. We have a brass little, little trumpet solo, if I hear that in the background. And I liken that to Ben Gibbard's brain exploding when his crush comes in and, and breaks the news to him. Second of all, if, if you thought it was over, it's... <laughs> If you thought it wasn't over, it's it's over, all right. She is making charts and graphs. She's prepared a lecture to explain to her delusional now ex that it's over. It's Jover. 
um, pardon my political puns. And third thing, and this is a bit more personal, um, I believe, if I remember correctly, that I have been broken up with while this song and, and this part was playing in the background hilariously. Again, I, I said at the top that one of the reason, one of the things that I like about this album is that I feel safe playing it in, in front of other people. And so I, I just had a, a date with someone and it was, I thought it was going pretty well. And we're, I was driving her back and playing the song while in the background. And right as that instrumentation was exploding, I, I heard the words, yeah, I think we should just be friends. Actually, I don't know if we should just be friends. Maybe, maybe you should pull over, drop off. I can Uber home. Not, not ex- actually to that extent, but, but yeah. Now I never play this album in, in front of dates ever. Yep. Track number five, guys. It's it's all right. It's all right. Uh, track number five, recycled air. I don't have too much to say about this track. It's never been one of my favorites. It's always been a, a soft skip for me. Um, but as you can hear from the very woozy beat, it is somewhat calming. Or calming's not the right word. It's, it is a little bit trippy in, in a way, the whoosh, stuff like that. And because I, I usually would kind of skip this song, I, I don't have much of a relationship with the song. Uh, but from the Fantano classic review, I've, I've learned that it's about a person who has flight anxiety. So anxiety, hopping on a plane, uh, hopping in a chair and clasping his chair. His knuckles are clenched in white is one of the lyrics. And the latter part of, of the track is it feels like a lot of deep breaths, deep breaths as you're trying to go into flight and maybe you go from anxiety of takeoff to maybe a little bit more sleepy mode uh when you're on the plane and and that's kind of the end of the end of the song how the song rolls from there So while it's not my favorite track on the album, I, I do really appreciate the, the concept of being in a plane where the air is recycled. So shout out Recycled Air. Track number six, Clark Gable. On Clark Gable, we are back to our blissful, wishful thinking utopia. To spoil the concept of the song, Ben Gibbard is a movie director in in this sort of film. And and the film is trying to recreate uh, his love with his ex. So he gets like a camera and a van and, and goes through all, jumps through all these hoops so that he can create this whole movie set where he and his crush uh, just 
get together and have one last kiss together. And I know that sounds kind of creepy and weird and obscure, but that's the plot of the song, and, and it is very kind of wishful thinking, and, and that's what the chorus encapsulates. I want so badly to believe that there is truth, that love is real. But just as we all don't necessarily get happy endings like in the movies, this song has a really seminal moment on the album where Ben has the very sobering reality that perhaps he's lying to himself and it's all he can do to really get by. I know you're wise beyond your years, but do you ever get the Track number seven, We Will Become Silhouettes. Narratively, this is one of the more interesting tracks on the album. In this track, we find Ben Gibbard in a uh, holdup in a bunker, uh, <laughs> salvaging food and, and stockpiling food because uh, for the nuclear war, for nuclear uh, apocalypse. I've got a cupboard with cans of food, filtered water and pictures of you. And in this dystopia metaphor, that this dystopia love metaphor that we've had the in, entire album, um, the radiation outside that he's trying to pres preserve himself from, that he's trying to protect himself from, uh, what that really symbolizes is an argument with his significant other. That the air outside is so toxic that he's not leaving until this is all over. And I'm looking through the glass And the someone I used to know is the significant other in that they're not acting like they were when you met someone. Like, sure, it's great when you're initially dating someone and, and going through kind of the happy dating phase of things. But as you get to know someone, uh, you get to see all sides of them. And some of those are, are not the prettiest. Is it as ugly as nuclear war? Obviously not. But Ben Gibbard would <laughs> like to make you think it is. And those are my notes on this particular song. The only other note I have is uh, the music video of this is, I, I think, kind of cringy. And I did not love the music video of it. But maybe you should check it out for reference. It, it was just super corny, in my opinion. But that leads us to 
our next track, track number eight. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, here's a song about the city that I live in, a city called Seattle, Washington. Track number eight is titled, This Place is a Prison. It's funny because the the most the darkest moment of the album, and, and why I would argue the climactic point of the album, uh, comes on a track about his hometown of Seattle, Washington. So it looks like a lot of shade towards Seattle. I don't know if that's the rain. I don't know if he just hates Starbucks, but not a fan, even though he lives there. And if previously on the album he was this very naive, uh, love-centric, hopeful, this finds Ben Gibbard at his most jaded and uh, disillusioned yet. This place is a prison. And these people aren't your friends. Inhaling thrills through $20 bills. And the tumblers are drained and then flooded again and again. And the setting in Seattle, Washington that he's specifically describing is a bar. He describes people that are just drinking, that are their tumblers are drained and then flooded and they're just spending money, $20 bills wistfully. And meanwhile, Ben Gibbard is all disillusioned in the corner just being like, wake up sheeple. Or that's his attitude per se. And that leads us to why I consider the climax of the entire project. And it's when Ben Gibbard finally snaps. Most of us have been there where it's a crowded bar late at night and it's like, what does it take to get a drink in this place? And I can't really describe this as a point of personal growth for our narrator, but it's just the point where he's finally letting it all out. We've seen moments of disillusion. We've seen moments of denial. We've seen moments of clarity. And this is where he has a, a big moment of anger uh, to close out near the end of the record, which takes us to track nine, Brand New Colony. I find it interesting that we're not staying disillusioned, that we're back to Utopia again. This is a very Mario Kart type beat on the front end. 
I like to think of this as very much a, a matrix red pill and blue pill situation. If on the previous track, this place is a prison, we were accepting the red pill where the really grim reality of this man's life and, and broken heart, brand new colony seeks to escape to uh, take he and his significant other uh, go on to start their own colony to escape from the fallout that has been uh, plaguing him the entire album. Whether this is him with a new person or uh, just starting fresh by himself, he describes with a significant other wanting to take them far and, and start a new life together. I want to take you far from the cynics in this town and kiss you on the mouth. We'll cut our bodies free from the tethers of the scene. Start a brand new colony where everything will change. We'll give ourselves new names. It's a declaration to start at square one once again. And it ends this album with a very happy ending. And so we did it. We made it through the album. We had a very happy-go-lucky beat to end things off. We're happy we did it. 10 out of 10. But there is one more track on the album, and that is track 10, Natural Anthem. And I'll let you know that dissonant droning that you hear goes on for roughly two to three to four minutes. And look, I, I love this album. That's why I'm doing a pod on it. But I've never liked the song. <laughs> and for most people, it's the most hard-to-listen song on the entire album. This has been the one true skip that I've always had because it's just I'm looking for kind of easy-go-lucky um, music when I turn on this album. And, and this is very dissonant, very like minor key very uneasy is how I would describe this track. I'm not going to delve too much into this track just because it's not one of my favorites, but um, doing the research for this podcast, I, I do appreciate it more just in that, that as we talk about these themes of utopia and dystopia, I do appreciate that we end in a very dystopian feed because uh, this brand new colony this blue pill happy world that Ben Gibbard portrays on much of the album, it's not real. <laughs> and while there is a lot of happiness to be had in this world, don't get me wrong there, it just wouldn't feel true to the overall uh, feelings of the album, the, the overall feelings of heartbreak that this album is about if we just really ended on a <laughs> happy ending. The other thing that you need to know about this track is that um, the Postal Service what, what this is supposedly a, a callback to the first Postal Track song, to the first Postal Service Track song that they ever did, uh, which isn't on this album. It, it came out in 2001. Uh, that song is called This is the Dream of Evan and Chan. 
apparently the song is supposed to kind of loop back into that or, or sound somewhat like that one particularly sounded. So that's more of a, a fun fact that I'll say about it. But in the most part, I usually stop the album at the end of Brand New Colony, if I'm, I'm going to be honest. And But that's the last one. That's the last track. Uh, there are a number of bonus tracks that are on the deluxe version uh, that was issued ten year, for the 10-year anniversary. Those songs are, are neat. Songs like Turn Around uh, and A Tired String, uh, A Tired Line of String. I think they're worth checking out if you're a big fan of this album like I am. But I, I think you can also live without them. They they aren't critical to the album experience of Give Up, which is this album. And so final thoughts. I think this album has it all in, in terms of a pop, indie pop album. It's immaculately well-produced. And I think the vocal performances are, are very well done. But really, the album is versatile in that it is something that I can play in the background for my friends and feel comfortable <laughs> playing. and But it's also something that I can really dig into and read into metaphorically to learn a little bit more about each of the, the tracks. I think this album has a lot of replay value. I wouldn't say any of the mixes or instrumentals have gotten old for me over time. And while the lyrics are bleak, you can either take them or leave them if you're... <laughs> kind of want to feel that a certain way of heartbreak, uh, go for it. If if not, you can play the more utopian, that more happy tracks and, and just have a good time. And those are my thoughts. I, I thank you very much for listening through uh, this particular audio series. It's a little bit different from a lot of the podcasts on my feed. The only other podcast episode that's like this is our Coldplay album tour which is a bit deeper uh, in the podcast feed. If you liked this album or liked this episode, I, I it would really mean a lot if you let me know. And and also, um, uh, please recommend it to your friends and, and such and, and leave a five-star review on Spotify. And this is the first episode of 2024, and I, I thank you for your listenership and uh, encourage you to check out some of the other episodes. And Anyways, I uh, hope you're safe and hope you have a great rest of your day. Mm-hmm.